Welcome, scribes and scribblers, to our little tater uh, tate on pens and papes. Yes, yes, that's right. Welcome back to the Nib Section, official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Today is our episode that uh, calls our qualifications of sort into question. Um, and with that, I've given all of our hosts uh, some temporary pseudonyms and designations uh, via Starfleet Command. Sharon Zah, our uh, generous benefactor, who um, I think is a very clear Captain Kirk, uh, if, you, if you listen to the podcast, <laughs> I think is a real clear Kirk. Um, uh, welcome, welcome, Sharon. I may need to work on my elocution and, <laughs> and where I put my pauses. Then maybe, maybe not Shatner, maybe not Shatner, but um, yeah. Pine. I, I think I think he did it. I think he did a good job. I think he did a good job. I think Kirk is Shatner. Shatner is Kirk. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Shatner was two things. It was Kirk and Danny Crane. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Diana Die. Who I I went back and forth on this. Um, but I think is probably, I think is probably our Janeway. Uh, <laughs> I think is probably our Admiral Janeway. Um, uh, well, welcome, Di, to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Um, Tav, who I I thought a lot about the captains, but I didn't think was the right match. And I think the perfect match for uh, Tav, welcome to the show, is uh, McCoy. <laughs> I think Tab is a pretty clear McCoy. Uh, you know, definitely cultivates the, the grouchy expert um, uh, look sometimes. Okay. Righto. <laughs> sure. Fine. Uh, <laughs> nah, thanks for having me. Um, and uh, my myself, uh, Jackson Montano, uh, Captain Penn Cisco of Deep Space Fine. That that's really what I was leading to. Yeah, yeah you were. You were. That, that you was were really, such a build so, up. You, you look so proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you uh, all for joining us in uh, again Sharon's um, lovely elevated uh, loft. Kind of uh, uh, loft isn't uh, accurate, but but we're up high. Today is an episode, uh, I'll, I'll let Di take the intro. Um, sitting in the corner is our... Dog uh, of the pod. Sebastian, dog of the pod. Uh, Di, Di, do you want to take over? Because you're going to kind of be running this one a little bit more. Yes, um, I will be taking the reins this episode. Yes. The power is in my hands. Captain <laughs> Captain Janeway in the pilot seat. Um, so... What happens uh, this episode is is a little bit out of the ordinary. Um, I thought we'd do something fun that's a little bit like a game. And what prompted this was when I was in Hong Kong 2018, I was wandering around in the early hours of the Saturday morning waiting for my appointment um, with HSBC and I wandered into a bookshop on Queens Road Central and browsing around I found this book called Collecting Pens by Edward Kirsch from 2006 and this little book fascinated me because it claims to make everyone who reads it a fountain pen expert. Um, the promise is that after reading it you will think like an expert and talk like an expert and on this podcast we are allergic to experts i bought the book because i thought you know i could get a laugh out of this and reading it i actually found a lot of 
what it suggests and a lot of the claims were quite sensible, um, which surprised me. But at the same time, at the very end of the book, there was a quiz with 20 questions, which I guess you're meant to self-test yourself against after reading the book. And I thought, you know, with four people on the podcast and some of them of more um, knowledge about fountain pens than others, let's try this test against our host's knowledge and see how we rank. So that's what we're going to be doing this episode. Um, I will read out the questions one at a time and I will pick uh, the, the others. So Tav, Sharon and Chuck, they will each take turns going first and answering the questions and well, I'll give their answers a rating out of three depending on how close they match with the official answer from Edward Kirsch in the book. And we'll see who comes out the instant expert at the very end. I don't expect um, this to be a reliable judge of it's who. It's not a science. It's, it's an it's art. Not, <laughs> it's not a science. It's like, um, you know, those online pop quizzes to judge your own knowledge. But um, we'll see how they go. So it's like a BuzzFeed quiz, right? Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> There's a bit on Pikes and Rec where they're having, uh, they're having a debate and one of the um, – Judges is, uh, here's a question from uh, Twitter, because this is apparently a thing we're doing now. Well, this is not a list of questions, a quiz from Twitter. This is actually from a book that is in print. So we'll see how in print quizzes, um, how accurate they are. Can I ask one question before we start? And I've intentionally not really looked at this, uh, not really looked at this list because I, I want them to be uh, hot, fresh takes. Uh, the writer of the book, where, where are they from? I'm fairly sure that he's American. Okay. That's going to influence whether, whether I give uh, responses that I think. So, uh, from the back of the book, Edward Kirsch has written extensively for Cigar Aficionado, The Rob Report, Rolling Stone, and Spin Magazines. Yeah. When not relying on a computer, he often writes with a vintage fountain pen. Sure. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's go down to my smoking den. We'll whip out the cigars, have a couple of whiskeys, and then we'll be in the right mindset, right? Look, I, I, I'm not trying to take the piss out of this. I, I'm, I'm the, like the book itself. I will set it up as saying it's not terrible. Um, some of the things he says are very um, sensible. It's just it feeds into a lot of the stereotypes that we have about fountain pens. And I'll, I'll, I'll wait till the end to um, let you be the judge of what his answers are like. It's from 2006. It's from 2006. Okay. That, this Correct. is also going to influence some of my, my, my responses. Correct. Okay. Um, so let's go. I will start with question one of the instant experts quiz. One is what are the rarest and most prized pens? Let's start with Sharon. I actually thought about this one and I had on here that it would be some sort of a vintage Waterman, probably a 52, with some type of filigree overlay with a very nice red or pink nib on it. Okay, Chuck? Uh, rarest and most prized written in 2006. I'm going to say something which is a serious statement but is going to sound like uh, a very typical response for me but i am going to say something like parker duofold mandarin because there's not that many made of them the material was quite was more fragile than uh the a lot of the big red stuff and so a lot of them haven't survived does sound like a stereotypical answer for me but 
is is a is a serious one. I think I think that that's that's possible. I mean, I'm not sure about the wording of the question. Does he mean like what type of pens are the rarest and most prized pens? Like a specific aspect of the pen? Does he mean like a particular material? Does he mean a particular model? It's kind of an ambiguous question. Mm-hmm. So so. You know, does he mean what specific model and color was the most rare? Was was the rarest and most prized pen? Then, in that case, maybe. Okay, so this is the official answer. Uh, oh, hold on, hold on. I haven't. Yeah. I, I haven't oh, answered. okay. Wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> well, I, I, I will say, I, I definitely don't think it's a, it'd be a, a fifty-two because they were actually quite common back in the day. Um, probably the rarest. I mean, I think probably some of the probably some of the rarest pens and the old, most prized pens were the pre. Iridium days uh, where nibs were actually tipped with gemstones such as ruby. Um, I've actually seen one photo of one. It was a nib that was tipped with a ruby and it wasn't a particularly beautiful ruby. It looked very, very strange. It didn't look at all like a fountain pen nib. Um, I can't even remember. I think it could have been on David Nishimura's website, but I thought that could be the most, that, that could be the rarest and most prized pen. But I think... A fountain pen nib tipped with a ruby yeah well because ruby is extremely uh extremely hard not Shit, as, it's real yeah it's it's not it's not as hard as iridium but before they discovered that iridium could be used they would use the next hardest thing which would be a ruby yeah i've just had a quick google of that one so yeah it's it's they're extremely hard to find they were the first tipped gold i wonder how they write pens i don't know i mean Maybe they didn't write very well at all because there aren't many of them left. Maybe everyone chucked them out. That's an interesting I've lost one. the cap of my pen. That's an interesting one. <laughs> oh, there it is. Okay, so here's the official answer from David. Kirsch, um, sorry, Edward Kirsch. This is a matter of considerable debate. Um, maybe I should mimic as, we, a, as we've seen. Maybe I should mimic a cigar coffers, um, a cigar smoker's cough. Just, just for this. sound like Sean Connery. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm just imagining this guy sounding like Sean Connery, even though he's American <laughs> with a Scottish accent. This is a matter of considerable debate. <laughs> no, I won't do that. <laughs> <laughs> this is a matter of considerable oh, I debate. Gonna, I was just going to let it happen for the whole episode. <laughs> oh, oh. No, we should have just kept completely straight faced and be like, "Oh, you're doing a great job, Diana." It's, it's like it's you're like Sean is. It's like like it's like he's right here. Oh my gosh! So, so Tab already gets a point for um, saying that there is a matter of considerable debate, right? Um, yes. But the rest of the answer is um, many experts will opt for Parker Aztecs, giraffes, giants, and snakes. Other aficionados will choose early Waterman pieces, such as the five point five thousand dollar Dolls pen, one of the company's swastikas, an eyedropper from the early nineteen hundreds, or a safety pen. In any case, these highly pursued and rare pieces from the past are investment quality works of art. So I think um, I'm going to give Tav and Sharon both two points and Chuck. Oh, I mean. (laughs) Well, he did say Parker, so I'm going to give you one point. Yeah, come on. And I, I, I will, I will say, I think he was talking the, the the dolls pen. Actually, Angela loves to talk about them. Uh, she's been following a lot of them on eBay. They're tiny. They're absolutely tiny. They're about the size of a matchstick in length. I've seen one they in real life. Adorable. Barry brought one to one of the meets. Absolutely adorable. Yeah. They go for a mint. Uh, they're little eyedropper filler pens, and they were the the length of a toothpick. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're just, they're so small and they're functional, completely functional and they work. Okay. Um, Question two. Why is the Parker snake so coveted? Or coveted? Um, Chuck. 
I'm going to say, I'm going to say because it has a hooded nib. I'm, it doesn't. I'm drawing lines between. It doesn't. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I genuinely have never heard of this before. Um, it's like the original version of, um, or similar to Sharon's Rouge et Noir. Okay. I have a, Does I have it, a photo I'm gonna of it, say, I'm gonna, Oh no, I don't, I don't want to look at a photo. I actually want to go into this blind. Uh, I'm going to say gemstone eyes. It does have gemstones yeah. on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Tough. Um, because it's pretty. No. Um. <laughs> That's well, a perfectly reasonable well, answer. Well, I mean, uh, he said, "Why is it so coveted?" It's rare. I mean, it. It. it requ- I, I assume from having seen one of them before, they require exquisite amounts of well, it, it, yeah, yeah, amazing amounts of craftsmanship. They are made by be- like they, they, there's some beautiful silver work there. I believe it's a, it's like they've sort of got this sterling silver work of a of a snake wrapped around the pen with gemstones overlay. Oh yeah, it's so it's a sterling silver overlay of a snake that's wrapped around the pen, and it looks beautiful. It looks kind of like a Mont Blanc actually. It's very it's it's a relatively early Parker model, uh, I believe turn of the century. Correct. And yeah, it's just, it's just because of the the, the metalwork that goes into it was very very precise very very expensive even by to that those days standards when everything had to be made by hand so I, I think that's why it's so you know Sharon everything that Tav said <laughs> but um so primarily because it was so rare and it was it was one of the first grail pens that I'd ever heard of when I first got into the fountain pen hobby um Parker I think did do a re-release of the snake couldn't tell you when i thought it was the 80s 97 i think 97 97 um because ian reed from the sydney group has one which i have been fortunate enough to not only touch and feel and uncap i've also written with it and i've also heard him complain about the re-release in that they didn't do the cap. It's got a very poor cap mechanism in that when you, if you actually screw the cap on the uh, 97 version um, completely tight, it scratches the actual pen. So you can't what? screw the, wow. the cap on properly because otherwise it, scr- it actually scratches oh the resin of the pen and it's quite prickly. But, um, yeah, primarily it was rare and the work that went into it, that overlay is beautiful. Not a very practical pen that was hard to hold because it was so bulky. Yeah, it's knobbly. It's kind of knobbly. So, here's the official answer. Although the snake is an ancient symbol of evil and betrayal, this legendary Parker pen is the ultimate representation of the pen maker's art. Adorned with emeralds and either a sterling silver overlay or two gold reptiles wrapped around the body of the pen, this 1906... Repousse treasure. I don't know how to pronounce that. Anyway, um, this 1906 Repousse treasure was hand designed by Heath, an esteemed jewelry maker of that era, typically igniting heated competition at auctions. This $30,000 piece is arguably the most beautiful pen ever crafted. So I think I um, Tav covered almost well, every single point in there. Yeah. That's pretty subjective. <laughs> I, yeah. I would love, by the way, Dave, for you to tackle each question with a new accent. <laughs> okay, I'll give it our best shot. I don't that think was my Sean, right? I don't think my repertoire yeah, yeah. of accents <laughs> covers that many. I think I agree that the answer and the question itself is in, is really displaying the author's own preferences. But um, I think Tav completely hit 
most of the points in that answer. Um, and Sharon added to it with um, more information about the new release. So I'm going to give them both three. And um, Chuck, you did get the jeweled eyes, so I'm going to give you one. One blind guess. Third question is, what is the most prized limited editions? Parker Snake. Woo, I win. <laughs> <laughs> it's like these these are the questions that like lead on to the next one it's like what are the most rare what are the rarest and most prized pens Parker Snake why is the par- par- Parker Snake so covered because pretty what is the most prized limited edition Parker Snake woo um, winner winner chicken dinner exactly Sharon your answer uh, I actually had a look at these questions beforehand and I wrote my answers to them oh, and my answer to number three was probably a Mont Blanc just Chuck. any old Mont Blanc uh, because of the next question, I'm going to say Anamiki. Probably Anamiki. Okay. This is the answer uh, from... T- T- okay. Do, I, do I get a chance to like a, try and attempt to get some points? I don't know. Like, I, I, <laughs> you I said Parker Snake. I was joking. <laughs> <laughs> You're not allowed. No take backsies. Okay, fine. <laughs> there is no... There is no one pen that is the most prized. <laughs> I don't know what accent that oh, is. I love this. I love this. I'm not going to do this I again. Love this. Oh I, my God. I want a full repertoire. You went to like Welsh or something. Yeah, I want a full was... repertoire. He's going yeah. around the UK now. Yeah. Yet several pieces have generated tremendous allure over the past 10 years and continue to appreciate in value every year. Mont Blanc's Lorenzo de' Medici and Hemingway pens are true blue chip assets. Aurora's Benuto Cellini, original, originally prized at 8.5,000 with a solid gold overlay, was produced in very small quantities to solidify its investment value. And both the Omas Hong Kong, or Return to the Motherland, and the Jerusalem 3000 continue to rise in value, and even more importantly, to stir the fascination of well-heeled collectors. I still think this these answers are just really I subjective. I will say, though, I think the Hemingway, I was actually, just as you started to read, I was, I was going to be like, to interrupt, like, actually, I changed my answer, it's the Hemingway. Because that is one of the that is a pretty well known and really well prized collector's item, like as, as as a limited edition. But it's one of like fifty limited editions that could be. So, but I have to stand by Parker's name. <laughs> <laughs> so I think um, Sharon gets uh, two points there, and the two of you get none. Tav and Chuck. <laughs> I wish it were a Namiki. I bought a Namiki bald eagle. Yeah. Brand new inbox, mint, blah, 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 blah. But I bought one of those on the speculation that Namiki limited editions were the, what was the question? The most prized limited editions, hoping it would appreciate in value. It's sitting there and it's been depreciating at a rate of like a hundred bucks a year. I think... Um when we talked to Ian about this, he said something very similar, that when you pick the right um, Mont Blanc, just because of the high collected market for it, they really can be very good investments, whereas the Namikis just don't... But I love, I love the Namikis. Rise. I'm like, I'm with you in that I think the Yukari is a truly gorgeous design. Yeah, but the Namiki, that particular Yukari range, I just picked the wrong animal. Apparently, if I picked a panda over the bald <laughs> eagle then that would have gone like hotcakes. And I should have stuck to my roots rather than try and become an American. pandas are more endangered, isn't that right? No, I think it's just a lot of Chinese collectors. Oh, yeah. Who want the panda? <laughs> okay. Question four. What distinguishes Namiki from other brands? Uh, we're back to Sharon. 
it's an upper end pilot. <laughs> I, I I started off really well on my answers. Like my first answer was actually three lines long, and then towards the end they just became one word ones. <laughs> okay, Chuck. Um, I've I've thought about a couple of things, but I want to say for Namiki, um, look, I'm just gonna go with uh, the uh, ev- everything they use is brass bodied, right? For for Namiki, not, not everything. Not for, not everything. Okay, but most of them. Most, most of, of them, it. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to say like a heavy use on brass bodies uh, and lacquer, uh, whereas like Nakaya is like heavy ebonite and lacquer. Um, I think I'm kind of in agreement with Sharon. I think that at least at the time when this was written, they're one of the few, one of the only brands that is actually just another name for another brand, which was Pilot. Okay, here is the official answer. This Japanese company crafts exquisite pens heralded for their makie or hand lacquering techniques oh, that dates back to, to the 7th century. Pens from Namiki's Emperor Collection use black lacquer, inlaid abalone shell, burnished charcoal and gold flax in a symphony of flawless craftsmanship. These pens are innovative and wondrously detailed. So they're, they're, he's really heavily laying on the whole makie tradition. And that was one word that I had in my mind, just I didn't write it down. I, in mean, my I, I just, I just yeah, didn't, I wasn't realize, didn't realise that they were the only company that did that at the time. Like I thought there's plenty of other companies I thought that had what that were doing that around 2006, but it seems yeah, like, yeah, he, quite a few. Dana trio was huge in 2006. Oh, so maybe, maybe yeah, he, I think, he, um, mostly one, this probably the quiz shows its age from 2006, but also maybe what he's remarking on is that he has, Namiki has a long history um, in the collector's market of producing pens with um, quality makie. Because when you look back at Japanese pens from like the 20s and 30s, they still are in exquisite condition. And um, a lot of those Namiki pens are, have really extraordinary um, gold um, makie. So I'm going to give Chuck here a three and Tav and Sharon, you both get zero. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so true. It's an upper end pilot. Yeah. Okay. Question five. Which ballpoints have the best resale value? None of them. I don't know what no, this kidding, this kidding, is doing kidding, in a, a book about. No take backsies. No take backsies. the same uh, sentence. Chuck, um, you go first. I don't know. I feel like the easy answer is a Mont Blanc ballpoint, but I don't know about resale uh i don't really know so i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with mont blanc ballpoints tough i would probably say pens made out like ballpoint pens made out of a um a precious metal so like things that are sterling silver or something like that yeah so stuff that's yeah, yeah sterling silver or gold or something like that okay sharon i did have an answer and it was the same answer for questions five and six but with the no take backsies thing, I'm probably not going to say the answer that I've got written down here. Um, I would think it's probably something that takes um, an international standard refill rather than um, a, a proprietary refill because they're awful and very, very hard to source um, at some point in the future if they stop making them. Um, 
possibly something from Parker, maybe an earlier Parker. I mean, a Jota resells very, very well. It just keeps working and working and working. My original answer was a Bic, by the way, with a question mark. I mean, I have seen sterling silver Bics, so... <laughs> so none of us, yeah. none of us claim to be experts in ballpoints, but I'm not sure about the accuracy of this answer, but I'll read it anyway. Um, so according to Edward Kirsch... Ballpoints such as the 1960s Fisher Space Pens and Reynolds Rockets. I was going to say Space Pen is a joke. <laughs> and Reynolds Rockets from the 1940s are difficult to find yet to continue to attract collector interest. What, what was the, the Reynolds? Reynolds Rockets. Reynolds Rockets. From the 40s. Also, Eversharp CAs. Um, ballpoints and rollerballs that accompany name brand fountain pens have a steady following. So I guess that, that includes like Mont Blancs. Um, ballpoints that are gimmicky are also collectible, such as Calibri's Ma- Mickey Mouse Scribe. There's also a goofy model, um, which is also a three-way pen. Beginners looking for low-cost ballpoints will be intrigued by... Okay. Um, no, not, not the Jotter. Zach Saguri collection of stainless steel ballpoints and the Mesograph ballpoint and Califer's model. Um, yeah, I, I don't know most of these names, but... <laughs> I like the goofy Calibri pen. Oh, yeah. yeah. You yeah. just Googled it? I do. I, I do like it. Hold on. I, I, I really do like it. Oh God, that's a monstrosity. That looks I, like a Swarovski pen I with the crystals like, and stuff. I feel like I want to get, I don't know if that's the one that he's talking about, but I feel like I want to get that one. Is um, it a three-way pen? That's a fountain pen, rollerball and ballpoint? No. But it's in Chuck's theme. It's it's a, it's just a uh, goofy Goofy pen. looking pen. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the Eversharp that he mentioned, um, that was one of the first sort of commercially, like one of the first attempts to commercially market ballpoint pens. They were called a ballpoint fountain pen. They, they actually were one of the reasons why Eversharp went under is because they were crap. They were so bad. They just didn't work. And the warranty returns sent Eversharp under. So they were basically one of the reasons why that company doesn't exist now. So who who answered um, Mont Blanc ballpoints? That's me. Yeah. So that's, that's the opposite. So, so so Chuck gets um, Chuck gets one, and the two of you get zero. <laughs> okay. So I guess I get zero for my next answer as well, given it's the same answer. Question six: What pens should be avoided? Sharon, a big. <laughs> um, I mean, the easy snarky answer is ballpoint. Uh, I want to say, hey, Tav, when did Conklin relaunch? <laughs> <laughs> it was after 2006. Oh, okay. oh well, you can it always go Monteverde because they, <laughs> <were making, laughs> yeah. yeah. they were making pens in 2006. Yeah, maybe, maybe, a, maybe a Monteverde. I'm, I'm hoping he doesn't say like a blanket like Chinese pen. I, I, I was just, I was thinking, I was actually thinking that I was like, I think you might say that, but you know, I don't know. Um, I, I was going to say like, in my opinion, the sort of things that should be avoided are things that show signs of like, uh, well, if you're talking vintage pens, um, pens that show signs of irreversible, uh, damage, like a corrosion to the nib, um, or like, um, celluloid degradation or things like that so so things with irreversible damage that that can't just be restored like by a, a regular resacking or something like that i 
feel I should say at this point that um, the scoring system is completely based on adherence or relative um, adherence to the actual answer and not based on what we actually think is a reasonable answer. I know that, but I want to see how much I agree with this. (laughs) Exactly, which is the whole point of doing this exercise. Whereas whereas I'm definitely... But I also feel like um, at this point that we're getting a feel for what kind of author this guy is. So um, maybe some of you are starting to like pitch your answers towards what you think the answer will be. But I'm going to read this anyway because I feel like that's what Chuck's doing. Um, I'm going to read the answer now. pandering to a book. I'm, I'm... I'm attempting to... You're gaming. Yeah, I'm gaming. So, here's the answer. And I actually think this is fairly reasonable. So, he says, those that are built... Okay, the question is, what should be avoided? And he says, those that are built on the internet as once-in-a-lifetime offerings. Also beware of relatively unknown brands or pens with gold wash plating. These are not bargain pens. They're just fillers for the garbage dump. I read something just last night on FPO where someone said the best pen to buy of all time was <laughs> God, a scribe sword. There, a, yeah, sword the one. a sword oh, scribe. A sword scribe, a scribe sword. Um, so, so what was wow. that? that? I think that falls into that bucket, right? Because I've never heard of it. He was um, a new member who just posted a link to a website yeah. that he, I think, um, designed. Yeah, and that was a very strange, you know, a once-in-a-lifetime pen. It's like, that doesn't look like a very once-in-a-lifetime pen. <laughs> no. Um, Not a fan of the shape of lifetime then, I assume. No, um, but... In general, I think um, the answer is is not completely terrible. And I'm going to give Chuck and Tav both – no, I'm going to give Chuck one point um, for being like, what is this question to begin with? And I'm going to give Tav two points for actually giving a reasonable answer. (laughs) (laughs) Totally reasonable. We've given plenty of reasonable answers. I'm just but, not trying to game the system like uh, Chuck is by I'm, pandering to some I, old guy oh, who still lives in 2006. I'm definitely gaming <laughs> it. Sharon, of course, Sharon gets no points. It was written and he was, he, I mean, he was literally living in 2006. Yeah. But it's like going we, back to someone who lived in 2002 and be like, what are you living in are 2002? We, are we trying to all be the same guy who lived to, in 2006 or do we well, actually Diana have own opinion? She wasn't very good at the accent, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, but she did. A, spa, a spot I on know. Sean Connery. Right? I don't, yeah, <laughs> I don't exactly, know what a yeah. 2006 American guy who smokes cigars would actually sound like. Well, if if I think where where Tav is trying to see how much he agrees with him or disagrees with him, yeah, yeah, I'm I, trying to get into his headspace. Like I'm trying to see if <laughs> oh I can figure. God. No, I'm trying to see if I can figure this guy out. Um, but I also probably know the least. I am a unique little snowflake, and I'm happy being yeah. myself. <laughs> Why can't you guys accept me for who I am? <laughs> And this is why I have commitment issues. Because <laughs> uh, those inks keep ghosting you. Next question. Number seven. Which is a more desirable category? Vintage or contemporary limited editions? Uh, Tav, let's go first. Tav, you can go first. Um, he's, he's, he's literally asking, which do you like more? Like, yeah. <laughs> how, can, how can you answer that? That is the most subjective question out of this whole thing. Actually, I'm not sure. Actually, no. Twenty is probably number twenty is probably the most. Don't get ahead of ourselves. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm going to say contemporary limited editions, simply because vintage is slightly more niche. Sharon, I had 
a one-word answer called Your Mileage May Vary, which was a big thing when I first started um, in Fountain Pants. I had no idea what YMMV stood for, but apparently everyone used it. So Your Mileage May Vary... I thought because your one-word answer was going to be yes. That's like throwing in a towel and saying, I give up. Well, no, I, I, I thought about it because for me personally, I would definitely pick a contemporary limited edition because I just think it, it gets more press nowadays. There's more publicly available information if you ever wanted to get someone else onto the hype train. Whereas for a vintage pen, it's much harder to get someone onto a hype train. And I'm sure those hype trains existed in 2006. Um However, vintage pens have an element that is absolutely irreplaceable to it, which is the history behind them. And for a lot of people, they care more about the story and about the journey than the actual destination. So that's why your mileage may vary. That's not me tossing in the towel. That is me having thought about it and summing up my thoughts into one acronym. Chuck? Uh, I think for who this guy is... The answer is vintage limited editions. It just, it, it really does feel like that. Chuck like the mentalist. We've been, we've been led down the rarest and most prized and Parker Snake and that kind of vibe. So I'm going to go with vintage limited edition. Okay. The answer is, it's a long worded one. Okay. Um, Why couldn't you have what just said your mileage may vary? The answer, the official answer, according to this book, is vintage pens require more attention than contemporary pens. Early eyedropper-filled pens can be cumbersome and messy, and many vintage pieces are extremely delicate. Yet vintage pens that are built with sturdy materials are often more expertly designed than modern pens. The allure and rarity plus historical value of many antique pens also makes them, according to many experts, better investments than newly issued limited editions that have a much shorter track record as investments. The market in limited editions, as many retailers complain, is just becoming too crowded and has cheapened the value of many contemporary pens. So I think his answer is vintage. Um, if they've managed well, to last no, this long, well, no, he didn't exactly say that, right? It it was a it was a uh, A I, or B I, question. I, I think I think he said he's leading towards he vintage. He said our resident mentalist has. I no, think he has our it. resident mental. Uh, look, I am an exam panelist, and I mark exams on a regular basis. And if someone gave me that answer for this question, they would not get anywhere near to full marks because there is. No conclusion. When they ask you an A or B question, you pick A or B. Yeah. Or you pick it's what a, I pick It's a good and thing go that you're not his examiner then, Sharon. His answer does appear to be like 20 of A and 80 of B. <laughs> like he's, he's, he's tr- trying to consider. But Chuck yeah. is really getting into his headspace. Um, I'm going to give him three and the two of you. B.S. <laughs> Protest. What? Chuck didn't even consider Take contemporary limited. <laughs> I am I'm just trying to analyze the mindset. Of when a- we get out of this and Chuck will be our instant expert. Oh man. He may very well I'm be. Just to, I'm just trying to read a person. That's all I'm He's trying to do. He's the pen whisperer whisperer. <laughs> Chuck knows how to take a test. Uh-huh. Okay, number eight. When do vintage pens need to be reconditioned? Um, I think Chuck goes first this time. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with. Um, we're talking vintage pens. I think he's gonna be talking older filling systems. I'm. I'm gonna. 
I'm going to say something about like ink flow or leaking problems because that'll often be one of the first signs um, that the filling system is. Um, note that the question says reconditioned, not Re repaired. Oh, reconditioned. Uh, when tarnish or patina appears on the surface. Tav? If I'm going to be a bit of a mentalist here, I don't think he's going to recommend. I, I don't think vintage pens for collection purposes should be reconditioned because that'll actually decrease the value. If something has been polished, like um, a, a sterling silver overlay, if you polish it because it's got a bit of tarnish and patina, that'll that'll sharply drop the value. It's like with oh, uh, yeah, like antique right. coins and stuff like that. If you polish them they like lose all their value. And they, they always say like when they're marketing a, a new old stock vintage yeah, pen, they like say original unrestored, unrestored oh, as right. it was in the box and they are worth more. And a lot of sellers will, op they will offer the option of restoring it for you, but they will be like, I won't restore it as a, as a default, you know, yeah, and yeah, only yeah. once you've bought it will I restore it because then you will have paid for it the higher value yeah, and I will yeah, drop yeah. the value once you've bought it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tav coming out to play. Trying to you get got competition. Yeah. <laughs> Sharon. I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, you this is bullshit. Well, you, well, you I can not your own <laughs> scruples. <laughs> Integrity doesn't matter in the, you know what? Integrity matters in this household. As guests in my household, uh, integrity matters. And you like, guys are all selling yourselves. You my house? Uh, that was a good economy. They need to be reconditioned if you intend on using them. Otherwise, what Tab said. Otherwise, what Tab said. Okay, I think this question is, it, it, it really, it, this is where I mean, it, it gets really jumbled. I mean, is this guy writing from the point of view of someone who just collects pens to be resold um, and in, intends to keep them in mint condition or does he intend to use his pens? And I He's think like, they yes, really no make a answers. big difference. No, no, they're not. Okay, so here's the official answer. David Nishimura, an expert on pen restoration, thinks pens with rubber sacks should be reconditioned every 10 years. As he explains, certain inks seem to be harder on sacks than others, and there are also significant variables such as temperature, humidity, and level of pollutants. But, this is me saying this, this only is valid if you intend on actually using your vintage pens, right? And some people have vintage pens and they don't actually Hello? use them. So this, so this answer, yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm scoring you guys according to the answer itself in the book. <laughs> So, um, but they're using the pen. So for Sharon, um, I'm going to give her two points. And Chuck and Tav, I think you you gave answers which are not particularly relevant. So um, you'll get zero. Ta oh my God. <laughs> but that's the thing though, right? Integrity like, wins out, guys. I will guys. tell you though, I will tell you though, he, um, he says reconditioned. He only gives one example of reconditioning. Like, Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. That, like the question itself is very vague did, and the answer itself depends on different because different uh, yeah. i have read that article recommending every 10 years which isn't actually strictly true i've ne i've seen i've i have i have personally resacked pens and then like two years later the sacks have just gone like and turned into chewing gum inside the pen well back in 2006 they didn't have nitrogen royal blue this wasn't from nitrogen royal blue this was from like just sitting in the pen Maybe that being said, it could just be the humidity in Australia. I don't know. Okay, next question. Um, number nine. Should vintage fountain pens be used or only displayed? Tav. 
Yes. No. <laughs> no backsies. Um, my turn. Oh my gosh. <laughs> was that was that your that answer? That was not my answer. <laughs> um, no, no. Okay, I will. I will. I'll reframe that as acknowledgement of you calling my name. Yes. <laughs> Should Lawyer. vintage fountain pens be Lawyer. used or only displayed? Well, it depends on whether you are someone who merely collects them for keeping them in mint condition or if you like the performance of a vintage pen over a modern pen. If you, if you like the way vintage pens perform uh, better than the way modern pens perform, then definitely use them if you have had them reconditioned. But if you only display them, um, then you will don't touch them, leave them as is. But only if you're the sort of person that likes to keep things in boxes to display them because you just... Sharon's going, this is me. Um, I don't know. I, I, I can't understand that mindset, but that it depends on what you want from having your collection, I suppose. Sharon, used and... Actually, no, just used. But my addendum to that is you're holding a piece of history. You can write with a piece of history and you can make your own history. I love that answer. I think it is the best answer. I don't think it's the one that he's going to give. Uh, I think the answer he's going to give will be... Um, Let's see how, how, how many points Sharon's yeah. integrity gets at. <laughs> I think the answer he's going to give uh, will be something to that effect in which um, he'll be like, right, continue to use it, but I also think he'll have... I think the caveat will be there that if it is above a certain value or of a certain rarity that you should leave it alone if you're inexperienced. Chuck is getting really good at this. <laughs> oh, okay, crap. here is the official answer. No, oh. no take back. Tab. <laughs> no, I wasn't going to take it back. I'm just despairing at the fact that he's uh, he's a fountain pen whisperer. My, whisperer. Whole, my whole job is reading people. That's, that's all I'm trying to do. Okay, here's the answer. A pen in mint condition will definitely retain its value if untouched. Yet, using a pen is also fun, a mark of discernment and sophistication that separates the user from the crowd. Many collectors settle this conundrum by keeping one supply of vintage pens that are to be used, while other, perhaps more delicate pens that are strictly kept in pristine condition. Again, it's a yes or no answer, and he's gone, oh, uh, meh. <laughs> so, um, in an exam, <laughs> in an exam, an you don't get marked <laughs> for fence sitting. He you clearly don't. loves fence sitting. I mean, he. Oh yeah. my god, he might be so fence sitting that there is a pike right up. <laughs> okay, so here's my judgment. Um, Chuck, you get three for being very close to the actual answer. Tab, you get two, and Sharon, you get one. What do you mean? <laughs> do you mean? My answer was it is in not there. Enough that it I was... get two. It is merely <laughs> enough that I get more than Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I mean, I, look, that that point one the. <laughs> I, look, I, I, I will say because the official answer is both yes and no, yeah. and you only answer that is yes. bullshit. I, I mean, because this is all yes no answers. These are one or the other. You can't just go. Oh well, you know what? I don't like both choices, so I'm going to choose one that's right in the middle. Or you know what? I don't even like my question, so I'm just going to make up an answer and say this is what I think because this is what uh, what was that term he used? Oh my god, a discerning collector or something. I agree with Sharon in that I think this is a ridiculous. I think this is a ridiculous person, and I think this is 
um, a ridiculous way to frame this information as questions. Um, but I, I am 100% trying to read this guy. <laughs> Chuck's in it to win it. Number 10. How is a pen's value determined? Um, I don't remember where I'm up to. Sharon, I think you go first. Supply versus demand versus price and affordability. Oh. And I need another drink. <laughs> I was pretty much going to do a more long-winded version of that. Um, I, I definitely think... I think he'll talk a lot about things that are not to do with functionality. I think he'll talk about... You're getting spookily good at this. <laughs> yeah, I think he'll talk a lot about... Sharon <laughs> needs a drink. Um, I, th I think he will talk a lot about uh, how many were made, how many move around, how many... Are, like, whether you see them on auctions or, or, or such... But uh, I, I honestly think um, Sharon nailed it. Sharon has the right, the most correct answer, uh, I think. Tav? Um, I was going to say the, the pen's rarity, um, its condition, and certain other factors like its age, its brand, like certain brands just have more inherent value because they were first, they were, they were valued more highly in their day, like they were first-rate manufacturers. Okay, um, this is where I'm going to say that I think the question is not worded very well. I think it's worded as but if they, it's... They've all been worded excellently. <laughs> well, this, this one's particularly bad because it's worded as if it's asking you how is the price in the market actually determined, whereas the answer is actually about, you know, as a collector, how do you make a determination of what a pen is worth? Um, here's the official answer. Um, by reading company histories, going to pen websites, talking with other collectors and visiting pen shows. Hey, hang on, hang on, hang on. By reading company websites, so the more I read about the Conid's gentleman's pen, the more I want it. <laughs> we don't talk about that pen. <laughs> no, that's how oh you gosh. determine what it's actually worth. Um, there are no, more um, continuing on from the official answer, there are no professional grading services such as in the collectible coin market to give a pen a definitive imprimatur of rarity. Research and self-education are the only ways to determine which pens are most coveted. He keeps, he keeps using the word coveted, which like makes me think he's... Like he's coveting Secretly pens. yearning for them uh, like uh, under a trench coat. Oh, uh, yes, maybe. Um, I'm going to give Chuck a one and um, Sharon and Tav a zero. Um, just holding true to the spirit of the answer and not actually the accuracy of what I believe the answer is. That is <laughs> a crappy answer. I agree. No, 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 not the answer. The answer would have been a perfect answer to how if the, does a collector value correct, a pen? Right. right? That's what I mean. It's worded badly. How is a pen's value determined? That does not read, how do I place certain value on certain pens, right? As in, I place the most amount of value on a pen that I got for free, because, simply because someone gave it to me as a thoughtful gift. That's not what this question says. And so I stick by the fact that my answer was textbook and it was perfect. Okay, um, so after 10 questions, let me let me do a count and see how we're oh, going. We're doing the halftime check-in. Okay, after 10 questions, uh, Tab, you're in third place with nine points. 
Sharon is in second with 10 points and Chuck is number one with 14 points. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, wow. Uh, I know not. And can I just point out that on your scaling system of one, two, and three, whereby... Uh, Zero to three. Three. Or zero, one, two, and three. Arguing so with the ref, red card. Ma- <laughs> maximum points is 60. None of us have passed. No. Yeah, that's correct. Well, um, now it's 30 because we've only done quite No, as in maximum points are yeah. uh, 60. We're none of us are in, anywhere near to it's passing. It's not a matter of passing. This none is how us. close to None of us have expert. passed even in the 30. Chuck's coming close to... Th- 50%. He's <laughs> a pass conceded. <laughs> so he's scraping one. I still, I still have to write a three-page letter to the university <laughs> and tell them how three of my dogs died. Okay, question 11. And, and I'm sure the university is going to get a mini-paged letter from Sharon as well. <laughs> <laughs> I am shocked and appalled. <laughs> Where is the integrity of this university? <laughs> I am all about the integrity. Oh, okay. Number 11. What is the best way to buy pens? Tav. Um, in person, where you're able to, at the very least, try, well, at the very least, look at them in detail so you can determine there's no cracks or damage or anything like that. If not, try them, like or hold them or physically inspect them. Sharon. So, in addition to what Tav has said, and while I Strongly believe that you should buy pens in person. Playing to uh, Chuck's <laughs> my strategy. Chuck's strategy. I think you need to do research, and actually, this is this is a personal, authentic, and integral belief of mine. Yep. Um, you'll need to do research about the pen before you before you go in and try it out, and so on and so forth. So it's not just an impulsive buy. Although I've been known to do that many a time before, but um, you want to undertake some sort of research, understand where what the pen is, where it's come from, you know, does it shit unicorns or whatever, right? Pens don't shit, Sharon. <laughs> well, Maybe. that pilot petite of yours does. <laughs> no, it, it blobs, okay? Burps. That's that, it burps, okay? It kind of spews. It's, it's the other end. <laughs> Chuck. Um... My personal answer is uh, from someone desperate with immediate medical bills. But the answer that I will give uh, is, I think he will say in person where you, because this is 2006, so I don't think there's as proliferate uh, an online kind of buying. I think he'll definitely yeah, eBay wasn't so big back then. I, I think he's definitely going to say in person, maybe at like a pen show where there's like appraisers maybe from someone from an established vendor but this is a this is a poorly written question yeah okay here's the answer the answer is at pen shows where the buyer profits from the keen competition between exhibitors or sellers and where pens can be tested to see if they write well or are otherwise in accordance with the personal tastes of the buyer so chuck you get three um sharon and tav you get two each And do you know what the saddest part out of all of that is? The two points that I got were because I said, in addition to what Tab said. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well. Chuck, you're killing it. I'll count, the, I'll count that as a, as a leg workout carrying you to success. Oh. Whoa. I definitely know the least out of the four of you. Uh, out of the four of us, sorry. 
Um, but you know people, <laughs> and you know this Edward Kirsch by well, now. I mean, I mean, isn't the point of this is so that you can sound like an expert? Yeah. I so, think I mean, so. He's actually succeeding. He's he's sounding Just like talk, an expert. He's, like he's, one. Yeah. By the end of the episode, I'll have the Connery. Yeah, he, he'll have the bravado to talk like an expert. In. Question number twelve: If a pen has cracks, should it be avoided? Sharon. No, my answer was no. Don't avoid it. Fix it. Chuck. Oh, I think that. That's a good answer. Um, I think. Stop. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think I'm gonna take an element from that, and I think it's gonna be. Uh, I think it's gonna be. It may still have value even if it can't write. I think it's gonna be. It may be a collector's item even if it is non-functional. Tough. Yeah, I was going to say depending on how badly it's been cracked, and depending on how visible the cracks are and whether or not they affect functionality um it can still be kept as a collector's item and in fact if you want to keep it as a collector's item and and retain its value um it's probably not a great idea to restore the cracks because that'll drop the value quite significantly so um maybe store it in a way that hides it just put the crack at the you know you turn it in such a way and be like and this is my beautiful mint condition mandarin and you turn it over and it's like spider web of cracks behind it Okay, you guys did pretty well on this. Here's the answer. Not necessarily. David Nishimura says, well, he's really relying on David Nishimura for this. Um, David Nishimura says... The book is how to think and talk like David Nishimura. (laughs) Oh, no, David David Nishimura probably wouldn't answer like that. He's he's extremely knowledgeable. He is a a pen encyclopedia, David. Um, He replied to my comment on a post once and I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) I think these would be good if he had like two sentence answers before all of this rambling that were the actual answers. You know, mm-hmm. like if he had a succinct, definite response and well, then this the definite answer is not necessarily. And here's the pre. That's uh, still not yes or no. And the rest of it says David Nishimura says that while cracks were once reason enough to stay away from these pens, there's been a growing acceptance of cracks as long as they're stable and, up- and unobtrusive and preferably well-sealed. This acceptance makes sense, especially when the pen in question is going to be used and where functionality takes precedence over a pristine state of preservation. And that, that latter point is in quote marks. So it's David Nishimura um, verbatim. Um, I'm going to give Tav and Chuck three points and Sharon two points for this because they were all pretty close. Number 13, what pens are most prone to fakes and forgeries? We're up to Chuck. Um... I thought that it was pretty well accepted that the most um, fakes are of like Montblancs and forgeries. Like that's probably one of the most well represented in the fake market. Uh, I don't. I don't really have any information about fakes and forgeries post that because, I mean, I think that was a bigger deal in two thousand and six. Maybe now there's like quite blatant copies and. Um, rethinkings of uh, popular pen models so well, they're not nece- well can I, i'll just on, on as an aside they're not necessarily fakes and forgeries they're not presented as yeah, yeah, yeah. that brand yeah, though. Yeah, they're yeah. just copies Mas- of masquerading the yeah, 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 yeah they're not you know the i don't know a pen that's got the hero pen that's got the retracting nib mechanism that's the same as the mont blanc um uh 1910 limited edition with the retractable nib 
that's not a fake. You it's know, not just, branded as a Mont Blanc. Yeah, exactly. That's so. So it's. Uh, and I will say, actually, there are still a lot of fakes and forgeries around. People do get hoodwinked a lot today. Okay. It's an homage. <laughs> yes, it's an homage. I think it's pronounced Omas, but. Um, <laughs> are you saying Omas pens no, are forgeries? No, no. Really? No, I. I you deep, of all people, I deeply miss my Omas. <laughs> Tab, what is your what is your official answer, Tab? My answer would be brands with a significant amount of clout, modern models and modern modern brands, and with simple enough mechanisms that are easily easily copied, and the brands that are most often forged are Parker and Montblanc. Sharon, popular pens, Montblancs, um, and certain limited editions, ones where a um, a counterfeiter could actually turn an easy buck because it's well-known and uh, easily accessible and probably at a price point that's too high for someone who wanted to get a genuine one. Here's the answer. Like any industry with high-price, high-profile collectibles, many of the most collectible and rare blue chips have attracted counterfeiters and scam artists. Those pens with Toledo work overlays, such as Waterman and Montblanc, are often copied, albeit sloppily. Nishimura also warns collectors to watch out for Parker 51s, Duofold Senior Lucky Curve Deluxes and Pelicans with metal overlays. Fortunately, most of the counterfeits made over the years are not exact and often merely replicas. It can be easy to tell them apart from the real thing. I'm not sure how accurate this remains to today. I think I think those are like very, like vintage forgeries. Like Yeah, I agree. Like old forgeries, not like modern forgeries today. Because now there's like an abundance of... Because they... Lammies. Mm. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, the Pelican M, uh, M700, I think it is. M700 and M900. The, the ones with the gorgeous, like, hand-engraved stuff. They There are forgeries. And I've actually seen a, a forged overlay on a hard rubber. I think it was a 52 or something like that. They'd forged the overlay on it. The, the pen was genuine, but the, the overlay was forged. But I thought he was talking about, in general, fakes and forgeries because numerically, those are not the most prone to fakes and forgeries. It is Montblancs and Parkers because they, they they do get copied more often because they're easy to copy. Well, the answer was Montblancs, Watermans and Parkers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's Toledo what the answer was. Um, oh, but specifically, he says that the ov- ones with overlays tend to be forged, overlays. which I'm not sure if that's true nowadays. I haven't seen it. Um, but I'm going to give you all two. So, I think the overlay point is because the overlays tended to accrete in value a lot more than a lot of the other vintage pens. Yeah, it was precious metal. So, And that's and that harkens back to my answer for question one. The rarest and most prized. True. Okay. Um, number 14. How can you spot a counterfeit pen? Um, I think we're up to Tav. Look for inconsistencies in the manufacturing. Um, so look for like poor quality tooling and manufacturing. If you can, compare it with one that you know to be genuine that's been obtained from a, uh, you know, a licensed vendor. And check if the refills fit. Sure. If it's too good a bargain, it probably is, but you would also look at the detailing, the detailing in a lot of the metalwork, the nib itself, does it actually have a proper branded nib or does it just say, um, what is it, um, IPG? Iridium Point Germany. Yeah. If it, there's a lot of them now that have started stamping theirs with, Mont, you know, the, the fake Mont Blancs. They start stamping theirs with the 4810 Mont Blanc. Um, 
But yeah, if it's too good a deal, if it's a if you're getting a Mont Blanc one four six for thirty bucks, that's probably too good of a deal. Chuck, uh, I think he'll mention inconsistencies in manufacturing, but I also think he'll say something about serial numbers where available. Uh, I don't have too much to add, really. Um, I think it's been well covered, but so uh, that, that's what I'm going to say. You, you guys all did pretty well. So the actual answer says, since pen collecting has become such a high-priced market, there are lots of fakes to look out for. The best defense against counterfeit pens is to know the original very well. One of the most common problems with fakes is very poor fit and finish. Parts that don't fit together tightly, seams show, edges aren't finished, paint or plating is not full coverage, also watch out for rough engravings as expected when copies, um, nibs might be marked gold but are actually gold-plated steel, um, other things like plastic Mont Blancs made of metal or in finishes Mont Blanc never offered or generic iridium tip Germany nips on brand name pens. I am going to give you all a three because you all did really well on this. Number uh, 15. What is meant by a pen's condition? What should a collector be sure to look out for? Um, are we up to Sharon? Yes. Uh, wear and tear. The likelihood of it breaking, how close to the original it was. Yeah, let's go with that. Tap, uh, sorry, Chuck. Yeah, I was going to go with um, closeness to original manufacturing condition. Tap. Its condition is how similar it is to what it would have been like fresh from the factory. And a collector should look for things like fading, oxidization, cracks, scratches, gouges, um, and dense. I'm not going to read out the whole answer because it's very detailed, but I'm going to give you all a two because wear and tear and closeness to mint condition is really the answer. But what n none of you mentioned was whether or not it contains original boxes or documentation. And I think that's part of what the answer calls for. Well, if you have a backup problem like mine, Everything comes mint in box because that's also how I store my pens, which may be in one of the future questions. Okay, number 16. How are fountain pens cleaned and how often should this be done? Chuck. Uh, should just be done with water uh, and should be done in between uh, fills or once a month. I think he'll also probably say something about using a pen flush for particular models but not all tough yeah so as chuck said i'd say fountain pens are cleaned by filling them with water and flushing it out and it should be done if you're using the same ink over and over again it should be done every three to four weeks and but if you want to you know if you need to change colors of ink and you don't want to contaminate it then just do it between changing of co uh, colors of ink jared use water rinse and actually back in 2006, I, didn't, I don't think they had pen flush. No? I didn't think it was a thing, if I remember it 2006. A, it's a very recent thing. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, it's quite a recent thing. Um, so I don't think they used pen flush, and I hope you burn and uh, crash wow. and <laughs> lose brutal. points this and negative and get penalties. From, like <laughs> the angel of integrity to like, ah, I hope you all die. Um, but use water... 
uh, take it apart, not um, so don't try and pull bits and pieces out, but take the separate pieces apart. So like the grip section and whatnot, if possible. Um, so once every time you change different inks or um, if you're not planning on using it for a while. Here's the official answer. Um, most experts agree that pens should be cleaned every three months. Clean the nib, barrel and cap with cold water under a faucet or let soak for half an hour in a shallow bowl of water. Dry the nib, barrel and cap with a paper towel, then repeat the process. Periodic cleaning will make sure that there is no dried ink in the pen, which can block the ink feed system. So you, you got the process, most of you. Got we didn't it, say right? you had to do it under a running faucet, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> or with cold water. You didn't specify cold water. Um, but you got the frequency um, wrong, according to this book. So I'm going to give Chuck a zero because he <laughs> used pen flush. Zero. You have no rights. I'm going to give Sharon two for being very detailed about the process. Um, and Chuck and Tav, you both get one. Why does Chuck get one? He he had – look, we believe in negative marking here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe in negative marking. I'm glad I don't go to your uni, Sharon. Mm. Far out. Uh, okay. Number 17. How can leaks be prevented? Um, where am I up to? Tav. By ensuring that pens are stored nib upwards, by ensuring that temperature is kept relatively consistent in the room that the pen is stored in, like by ensuring that the pens like uh, that the pen is restored as often as is necessary. So if it's a like a sack filler pen that the bladder is restored every uh, 10 years or so so that it doesn't get um, perished and by using the correct converter or cartridge. Sharon, what Tav said and <laughs> and uh, don't take a half-filled pen on an aeroplane. Chuck? Uh, I think he's going to say uh, regular maintenance, um, storing it uh, upwards, but I also think... I also think he'll say something about using the right inks uh, to stop them from leaking. Uh, the, and the best answer is never inking the pen. I was going to say that, but then Sharon would be like, no, take that, <laughs> You get, yeah, that's it. You get it wrong. No. That's why I put mine at the end. Here's, De um, here's Edward Kirsch's answer. Always keep pens filled and carry them with the nib pointed upwards. Wrong. <laughs> wrong, Chuck, wrong. Jim Gaston also recommends that you dry the nib and cap with a lint and oil-free cloth only. <laughs> I use Kleenexes. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what that is meant to refer to. The reason for that is because if there's like a little fibre or something that gets caught in the nib and that fibre touches the inside of the cap, that fibre can act as a wick yeah. and like pull ink into the cap. Okay. I've seen it happen. It, it, it definitely Speaking happens. Speaking of, the trailer for John Wick 3 is out. <gasps> so good. Yeah. Wait for the recommendation <laughs> so section. Yeah. Wait for the recommendation <laughs> section. Okay. Um, gosh, what am I going to do? Um, I'm going to give you all... A one, except for Chuck, yeah. you get zero. <laughs> no, you all get one point for saying keep them all upwards, and that's all I'm going to give you. One but each. Chuck said to fill them, to not but, fill them. But, <laughs> but no negative points. <laughs> Otherwise, you would have lost points yeah. for all the instead of At like zero. Lose with integrity <laughs> rather than be a sellout. <laughs> oh, okay, number eighteen. What are the best ways to store pens, Sharon? In original boxes, in a dry place, 
uninked, clean, free from residue. In original boxes where possible. Chuck. Uh, I think he's going to say a felt-lined pine box and in a humidity-controlled environment. Tab. Uh, oh, uh, oh, yeah? No smoking and pets. Uh, so as not is, in my cigar day. As they want to say. Tab. Yeah, I was, I was going to say in a... Um, yeah, in a in a felt a proper felt box, or in original boxes if you don't have one of those in in a um, a temperature controlled or a cool dry place away from direct sunlight, um, with ink flushed out of them, and they are free of all moisture as well, and away from pets. Can I just? Uh, this is not adding to my answer, but as a genuine uh, addendum. Unless it's celluloid, make sure you let them breathe. Yeah, fair enough. Unfortunately, that does not give you additional points. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> that's okay. fine. I said that wasn't a here, here is the actual answer. Keep pens away from direct sunlight in a cool, dry place. Because resins in vintage pens interact with each other, you should also try to keep pens separated in pouches or display cases. Don't use cases with foam rubber because that can cause discoloration. Leather cases should be lined to prevent scratching or denting and avoid leather cases using preservatives. These preservatives in the leather can tarnish or damage plated metal parts and blacken sterling silver. Generally, avoid leather cases unless they're shown to be pen friendly. Plastic cases don't always shield pens from heat or sunlight. Choose a case wisely. Pen stores and websites offer many kinds from simple to deluxe, blah, blah, blah. So, um... That was way off. Well, you got the... Cool part. Yeah. No, but he said with, with, <laughs> with some humidity. Yeah. When, you, when you said direct sunlight, I was like, oh, I lost. <laughs> I was like, Sharon and Chuck, I'm going to give you both one. And Chuck, get, oh, sorry. Wait, 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 wait. I deserve more than that. I did say temperature controlled and I said dry. Temperature controlled. Um, I don't remember the, you saying temperature controlled. I don't remember you saying temperature controlled I definitely either. said dry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did hear you say dry. Like, well, okay, fine. I didn't say that. But, but. <laughs> and um, Tab gets two um, because yeah. he definitely mentioned sunlight. Okay, two questions left. Number 19. Which lesser known pen manufacturers are likely to increase in value in the future? Remember, this is from 2006. Uh, Tav. Lesser known pen manufacturers. I don't expect any of you to get this. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> far out. Lesser known. So I need to find obscure pen brands from 12, no, 13 years ago. Um, Parker. Yeah, obs- <laughs> Very obscure. 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 Waterman. Schaefer. Cross. This is, she's doing the equivalent of like count, like saying random numbers when someone's trying to count. Um, lesser known pen manufacturers. Um, can you come back to me? No, no, that's not how. That was that was wow. Okay, um, that was negative marking, not just from me, but from Chuck also. <laughs> okay, um, and um, die. <laughs> what about Conway Stewart, Conklin, Monteverde? <laughs> oh, she's, she's still doing oh it. my god! <laughs> how about and this is not that. This is what he's pre- what he's predicted to increase. I got nothing. Uh, let me let me. Uh, this is so. This is not helping. You're not helping. <laughs> I, I had one and you made me lose it. It's your fault. Are we helping? I, I had an idea. Are I was we, just going to say something. Are we, are we okay. helping? Sailor, because it wasn't as well known. I don't know. 
It probably was. Sharon. So I had Pelican, Karen Dash, and Namiki. Namiki Limited Editions. Okay. Chuck. Because this is from 2006, uh, and for for the lulls with the particular group, I'm going to say Visconti. Ah. And I think... Oh, damn. I, I think he's actually... I actually think he, he might have a point. I think it might be there. Because um, they're not a very old company and may not be. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to say... I'm just going to say Visconti. Here is the official answer. Aiken Lambert and Pens They're from, dead. And Pens from John W. Carter. I'm pretty sure they're dead too. The experts also expect many Schaefers to rise in value and importance. Oh, damn it! I said Schaefer! <laughs> oh, I think I'm taking the piss. I think he means, think he means lesser known pen manufacturers, vintage <laughs> pen manufacturers. Experts also expect many Schaefers to rise in value and importance, as well as Conklin's and Conway Stewart. Oh my God! That was <laughs> awesome. You know Can what? I, like I, I don't even. I don't even care that I get zero on this. <laughs> you all, all, care, zero. all I care is uh, that Sharon nearly got hubris, free. Hubris, hubris. <laughs> See, he should have qualified that with vintage because he made a distinction between vintage and contemporary before. Correct. <laughs> utter bullshit. I, I demand to get at least a one because I named all of those, whereas he couldn't <laughs> even think of anything. Gonna, like, he couldn't even think imagine, of anything. Imagine In writing bird a book. brain right there. Imagine, imagine just like writing a book and then 13 years later, this screeching woman shows up on your doorstep going, you cad, you unspeakable cad. How dare you? Can we find out if he, find out if he has an internal Adam? Okay, okay, final question. We're almost at the end. Number 20. I deserve two points for that. Schaefer Conklin. <laughs> you are using them ever. to try and mess with me. That doesn't count. Well, you're better than someone who can't even think of a brand it's, name. It's a two-week turnover for the, for the appeal. It doesn't process. matter if it's better. You still didn't get the mark. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number 20. Should collecting pens be mainly a fun-filled hobby or an investment? Um, where were we up to? Why not both? <laughs> oh, yes, it was Sharon. That was my answer. Yeah. Lock it in. The, Thanks, the Eddie. The answer is yes or alternatively, Poker Nolos Dos. Um, there's not a whole lot to it. And Tav, your answer. Um, what Sharon I said. believe, well, yeah, I reckon it can be both at the same time. It can be a fun-filled hobby that is also an investment at the same time. You all get three points. Yay. Here is the answer. Many rare Parkers and Watermans continue to appreciate and value. Who cares about rare Parkers and Watermans? <laughs> unprecedented and stunning value. Does. But first and foremost, a pen is a writing instrument meant to be enjoyed for its craftsmanship and distinctive styling. Pens are historical artifacts that evoke a world before computers when writing a letter could take an entire day. Collecting vintage pens is an exciting and thought-provoking hobby, a joy offering far more important pleasures than mere profits and balance sheets. I would love if right at the end it was the first time that he came definitively down on one side and was like, no fun allowed. Like, to at least have one solid answer. Look, guys, I'm happy to lose. You're welcome. Thank you for coming. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wow, do the final tally. Sound bitter at all, guys. <laughs> with, uh, with, with head held high, though, not gaming the system. Discuss amongst yourselves while I do the counting. Discuss among. <laughs> I just tried to Google him. Uh, what, how, do, how do you spell his name? Cigar aficionado. I don't know. He's got an IMDb. He was a writer in 1962. 
and it feels like guys, it. guys. Um, I've done the final tally. Uh, and we're coming all, in first place is Chuck. Coming in at equal second, <laughs> Tab and Sharon. You both got twenty-eight. Yay! That's not even fifty percent. And that's a pass conceded. Yep. Yeah. And Chuck, you got over fifty percent. Holy shit. Number uh, you got thirty-three points 33 out of a possible out of sixty. 60. Out of 60. <laughs> I this hope you feel comfortable with selling yourself out for thirty-three <laughs> someone, out of sixty. Someone's gonna buy in for me to sell out. Like. <laughs> just just to give you an idea that the book that he published before this was titled The Official Price Guide to Golf Collectibles. <laughs> Man, he must have spikes on the side of his like little golf cart, right? Guys, oh, yeah, just to, 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 to out of so uh, zero to three, what would you rate this book and this quiz, Sharon? Zero point seven. Zero point seven. Chuck, I think for someone completely unaware, for someone aware that fountain pens exist and nothing further, there's there's probably like a little to be gained. No. Isn't. The only thing that was worth to be gained from that was like the whole cleaning routine, which they tell you in an instruction yeah. booklet. But then I also think that, you know, the the beauty of the journey is to figure it out yourself. Uh, I guess my answer is at the end, yes. The, the, real, the real rating is the friends we made along the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 real, the fountain pen was inside you all along. What was the? Give zero point six. It's not like I gave negative zero point six. Zero to five. Zero to five. Oh, sorry, zero to three. Zero to three. Okay, so I'm going to give it a a a G (laughs) (laughs) because, like him, we're clearly on completely different scales. Like we're talking about completely different things. So on a scale of one to three, I give it a G. I was in the scale. I get a mark for being (laughs) on the scale. Okay. So there we go. Um, That was collecting pens. The Instant Experts Guide by Edward Kirsch. So, listeners, what you have to know out of all of this is that you can disregard this entire episode because not only have we sold out, we've also taken a trip back in our little time machine to 2006, which, look, some people weren't even born in 2006. Most of us weren't collecting pens in 2006. Speak for yourself. (laughs) but yeah, you can disregard this entire episode and the only thing worth listening to in this entire episode are what we're writing with and our recommendations. Right. Which is coming up next. Which is why we've got them at the end. <laughs> well, Sharon, what are you writing with today? I am writing with a not quite vintage, but not quite contemporary either. And early 90s, I think it's an early well, why 90s. Why don't we ask uh, Eddie Kirsch here? <laughs> and maybe, maybe he can tell us whether that's actually vintage. He's uh, the expert after all. Yeah. Um, Surely there's a table. There must some, be yeah. a table somewhere, right? A grading system. What would I rate this? So I'm writing with a, I think it's a, uh, I want to say it's a 90s. I don't know for certain. A 90s Sailor 1911 Large, back when the 1911 Large like the Profit Cigar models, had a 14K nib. And this one is not the current hard medium nibs that they make. This one is a soft medium nib. So writes with a bit of spring. Very uncommon. Very nice. Everything else about it looks like a current black with gold trim 1911L. And how soft is the soft medium, like compared to, say, a platinum soft medium? Uh, about the same. Mm, nice. All right. Um, 
I am riding with today um, my uh, Sailor Pro Gear Riello. Um, Mikey Yams. Yes, Mikey M. Yams uh, has worked on this uh, zoom nib to turn it into a, a rounded nose cursive italic for me. Um, I actually have been riding with it uh, all of January and I have just about written it dry. And I always look forward to this point um, when I can get full transparency uh, because I've managed to put a whole bunch of stuff down. A lot of it is garbage um, that I've written. Uh, Just like this episode. Correct. Um, Tav, where are you at? I'm writing with a Delta Dolce Vita um, Federico oversize in black and orange. I got it from Yakov Lee at the Melbourne Pen Show last year, at the end of last year. Um, it's got a delicious broad nib. Um, it's a very large broad nib with an ebonite feed, which I absolutely adore. Um, it's got a sort of hybrid piston filler system, which is basically like a, a permanently housed converter. So it doesn't actually have like a Pelican-like piston fill. Yeah, it yeah. acts kind of like It's a, got tenure. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a captive converter. They call it. It's what Visconti's call a real converter. A real, sorry, a real piston. Yeah, well, I wish it was a proper piston filler because it, for the pen, it doesn't hold that much ink. But regardless, it's a gorgeous pen. It writes beautifully. And the, the broad nib writes like a true broad. I believe it's a Bock nib. Um, the cracked ice finish, the orange cracked ice finish of the middle of the pen is just beyond compare. Um, the only pen I can re- actually no, it's the only pen I can compare it to is the Aurora Sole acrylic. I think it's quite similar, and I absolutely love both of them. And Dai, what are you writing with? My pen is also orange, um, but not quite in your league. Um, I'm using my Faber Castell Ondoro in the orange resin. It is a nice just um, pull on, pull off, snap cap. It has a great medium nib and it's inked with Kobe Motomati Rouge, which is like pinkish red with a little bit of sheen. Um, this is permanently inked now with an orange or a red ink, is I just that, think. Is that number 20, Motomati Rouge? Number 20, exactly, yeah, Motomati Rouge. Actually. I love that ink. It's, it's, a, it's my work red ink. Yeah, it's like a little bit more interesting than a regular Yeah, it's red. like, it's, it's, it's kind of similar to Irori, but Irori is more orange. It's like yes. a pink version of Irori. Yeah, love it. Yeah, it's a really great ink. Okay. Um, well, we have a recommendation section as well. Those of you listening, this is where we recommend things that are not necessarily pen or ink related, just stuff we're really, really enjoying. Um, who went last? Tav, you went last last episode, so you can go first. Okay. Um, what I'm going to recommend this this time is um, it's an ep- it's a, it's a show that I've just started getting into. I find it interesting mainly because of what it is. Uh, it's an Australian drama that's made it onto Netflix. There are not many Australian shows on Netflix because Netflix has been sort of hesitant to give funding to Aussie productions. Uh, it's called Tidelands. And it's... Say um, that, yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, well, I won't give too much away um, because it would kind of spoil some bits of it, but uh, it's, it's a drama, but with slightly semi-supernatural elements to it. It's like a contemporary fantasy. Yeah, yeah, but it's not extremely fantasy-like. So it's not hard fantasy. It's just little elements of it um, that occur 
you know, they're very, they're, it's more subtle. It's not like, you know, Lord of the Rings or something like that fantasy. Um, it takes place in Australia. And so it's quite refreshing to see Australian stuff on Netflix. I've only seen the first few episodes, maybe first five or something like that. But I think it's quite promising um, for an Australian production. So, yeah, um, check it out. Okay. Sharon, where are you at? Mine is an Instagram wreck. In my guise as abhorrent for Sebastian, follow more than my fair share of dog um, Instagram uh, accounts. But I wanted to recommend one called Missy Minzy, who used to be one of my absolute favourite ones. Very professionally done photos. But um, it was quite upsetting, actually. But um, this particular account was dedicated to a little Pomeranian, a three-legged Pomeranian, and her journey in getting a prosthetic leg oh, and oh. her dog family. It was just so wholesome. Oh, no. But um, Minzy passed away oh. earlier this year and it was very sad and it just made me go back and look at all of the previous posts because it's so well done it's and it is literally and it is literally the cutest little Pomeranian. Like, <laughs> she's just adorable. And the one thing I will say is take a look at the About Me and the stories that they have featured because it's kind of like if you're having a bad day and you look at this little dog who's only got three legs and everything is right in the world. So Missy Minzy. Okay. I, I had a real like uh, – there was ups and downs during your wreck because I, I looked it up. Um, I have a music wreck uh, once again. Um, there is a group uh, called Tuxedo. Um, and they consist of uh, singer Meyer Hawthorne and producer Jake One. They have a couple of albums called Tuxedo One and Tuxedo Two. Uh, modern, like funk, soul stuff, so good. Um, if you only have to, if you if you're short on time and you want to see if you like them or you don't, um, there's two songs. One is called Do It, uh, which is very warm and uh, up just like really positive especially the video and the second song is called fucks with the tux uh and is also pretty great so tuxedo uh meyer hawthorne and jake one uh Di, do you want to round out the episode what have you got recommended today um i was going to recommend a a show also on netflix called sex education which is very good with Gillian Anderson in it. But um, this morning I woke up to notifications on my phone that Mary Oliver, um, a, I can't remember if she's Canadian or American, but um, a very much beloved poet, um, a Pulitzer Prize winning poet, has just passed away at the age of 83. So... Um, I think her most famous anthology is called Wild Geese. She writes a lot of poems about um, the beauty of nature. Um, and I'm fairly sure, but um, I might edit this out if I'm remembering incorrectly, but I'm pretty sure she's also a queer woman. Um, but in any case, um, she she's written prolifically over the decades and she's had a very long and much celebrated career. But if you like poetry about... Um, the natural environment, especially um, the American, you know, sort of pastoral um, poetry, check her out if you haven't already heard of her. And if you have, it's a good time to revisit um, Mary Oliver, the poet. Okay. 
That takes us to the end of the episode um, and uh, the second edition of, of the Nib section for the year. Thank you very much for joining us, Tav. Thank you again for having me. Thank you once again, Di, as always. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon, for uh, giving us your space. And uh, as always, listeners, I'm Chucks Montano. Until next time, ink well. Past and future episodes of this podcast can be found at thenibsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us, recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thenibsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us on the Nib Section Facebook page or at the Nib Section on Twitter and Instagram. The Nib Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers this episode were Diana Dye, Chucks Montano, and Sharon Zah. Recording and editing was done by Diana Dye. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.